Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Strzelowski. Find your film. It is Friday morning. I'm looking in right now at my computer clock, Mac clock. It's 7.42 a.m. It's Friday time. Time to finish your last day of work and try to look for movies to watch over the weekend with your loved ones, your family, or maybe if you're a loner like myself, by yourself. One of the movies I do recommend, I believe is a very solid movie. It's a movie called Supercell. It's an action. It's billed as an action-adventure thriller, but... What's interesting about this movie is it took me back to my appreciation of Steven Spielberg movies from the early 80s, okay? And this movie, if you like that kind of vibe, you may glom on to Supercell. The movie centers on this young kid. Well, young kid compared to me because I'm an old man, but he is a teenager, maybe around 17, 18-ish. He's played by Daniel Deemer. The character's name is William Brody. William is trying to learn more about his late father. His late father was a very passionate storm chaser who died in one of these, I guess, supercells or thunderstorms. I don't even know the right terminology is, but he perished years ago while hunting down a storm. And he was very passionate. His father was very passionate about it. His mother is Dr. Quinn Brody, played by Anne Heche. She was a doctor then. And in the 10 years since the passing of her husband and the father of the kid, They've been resorting to making ends meet, I believe, if I recall from the movie, she's cleaning a house or something. But anyways, she's trying to to really make ends meet, and she was also passionate about the science and technology and behind storm chasing and supercells, but that has gone by the wayside because she is now, her main focus is taking care of her son. Now, William Brody is a little bit more mature now, and he wants to learn more about his father, and he decides to rebel against his mom, leaves the house, and starts tagging along tagging along with Roy Cameron, played by Skeet Ulrich. And Roy was his dad's best friend. They had that storm chasing company together. Now that company is has been taken over by this guy named Zane Rogers. Zane Rogers, played by Alec Baldwin, is a very he's all about the dollars and going out into the literally the eye of the storm just to wrangle out a few bucks from people who decide to ride in the van and pay the right amount of money to see, to see these storms up close. That is very dangerous business. So that is the main premise of Supercell. It's about a teenager played by played by Daniel Dima trying to find a little bit more about his father. And it's a coming of age tale as well. Very well done, open hearted, spirited film. Again, love the score, love the effects. It's an indie film. And I really enjoyed what Jamie Winterstern, the director and co-writer of the film, did with the limited budget he had. It's a, you can tell it's a very big labor of love. And during the interview, I talked to Jamie about helping or collaborating with Corey Wallace on the score for this film, which I thought was a standout. He also talks about the special effects. Jordan Christine Simone is a very talented actress. You might have seen her on the HBO limited series, We Are Who We Are, that Luca Guadagno. Mino limited series from 2020. She was, yeah, we are who we are. I have not seen that yet. I've heard good things, but she is in Supercell as Harper Hunter, the very close friend and possible love interest of William Brody. She's She has some really interesting, solid getting to know you scenes with Anne Heche in the film. I really love the performances of Alec Baldwin and Anne Heche. I've been an Anne Heche fan for years, interviewed her in my 30 years in the business, maybe three or four times. And she was very, very direct and very in the moment as an interviewee. I do miss her as a performer and she's very good in Supercell as well as Alec Baldwin. And 
look, Daniel Deemer, have not seen him before in anything, and I liked him as a lead as William Brody. After this, I told him in the interview, I can't wait to see that Netflix film, The Half of It, which he is one of the leads in that film. And Jordan Christine Simone, wish she had a little bit more scenes, but I really liked her moments with Anne Heche and Daniel Deemer. want to see more of her work down the road, but she is definitely magnetic in the movie and liked her performance too. So overall, this is one of these movies that is an escapist fair and it has a little bit of an upscale in value if you are a fan of Spielberg films from the 80s or that just kind of spirit of movie making in the sort of what is, I was going to say sci-fi, that's not a sci-fi film, but Basically, if you like the open-hearted, vulnerable, wistful, Eric likes to call it schmaltzy. Schmaltzy can be can, can be construed as negative if you do not like schmaltz. But like Eric says, if you like schmaltz, you're going to love Supercell. But I prefer to call it like the open-hearted aesthetic of the 80s movie-making spearheaded by Spielberg. You're going to enjoy Supercell. Jamie Winterstern is a lifelong fan of Spielberg. He watched Spielberg films with his father back in the day. He talks about that in the interview. Daniel Deemer as William Brody, very sensitive performance. And I really love where Jamie Winterstern took that William Brody character throughout the narrative. And I mentioned that to Daniel Deemer in the interview as well. So the interviews will start with Daniel, Daniel Deemer, and then I'm going to move on to Jordan Christine Simone, and then finally wrap it up with Jamie Winterstern. So by the end of this, find your film thingamabob. You're going to have three interviews back to back to back. And hopefully that will persuade you to maybe give Supercell a shot right now as of Friday, March 17th. It is in theaters. If it's not playing in your local theater, you possibly can get it on digital and on demand. It's currently on digital on demand. Hopefully you can track Supercell down. I gave it on the rating system. I gave it three and a half out of five stars, which for me is a solid recommend. Eric Holmes gave this movie four stars, four out of five stars, but he considers it a quote unquote, a three-star banger. And what a three-star banger means is it's a movie that knows what it is. It stays in its genre-fied lane and it excels within that sphere. So I know it's a little bit cockamamie, but Eric Holmes considers a three-star banger even stronger than a four-star film. So I don't know. Both he and Bruce Perky have that sort of, how, how do you say that, that POV when it comes to three-star bangers as, as far as ratings. I don't, I don't use it because I'm not a team player, but that's just me. But yeah, so now you know what a three-star banger is. If you don't know, check out our full review of Supercell on the Cinematics podcast this week. Bruce Berkey was not a big fan of Super uh, Supercell. I think he gave it two, either two or two and a half stars. I have to look it up and uh, tell you guys later on that. Let me look. Let me see if I can find it. Anyways, yeah, bottom line is he didn't like it. But he, so he's not recommending Supercell. Two out of three ain't bad for Supercell. Now, tell me what you think of these interviews. And most importantly, once, once you see Supercell or if you see Supercell, hit me up and tell me if Supercell was the right movie for you. Anyways, here are the interviews. Again, Daniel Diemer then Jordan Christine Simone, and then finally, filmmaker and co-writer Jamie Winterstern. Thank you guys so much for supporting us three here on the Find Your Film podcast, and have a great weekend. Take care. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tight as a group, and when I say we go, we go. We're getting closer to the heat than any other tour company. Let's go! Everybody in the van! welcome. Your parents were the reason I started chasing. What did you know about this? 
can save lives. You know how dangerous this world is. Who goes out onto a roof to get close to the sky? So you thought it would be a good idea to turn this thing on and see what happens? Just get me within range. You came to be a storm chaser, just like your dad. He's not here, is he? Well, let me come with. I can help. Rule number one, always make sure you got at least a half a tank of gas. Rule number two, make sure you got an escape. So what's rule number three? Never get caught in the bear's cage. We need a shelter now. Backside of a supercell. Be chased for knowledge, not thrill. I'm Greg with the Find Your Film Podcast. Joining me here is Supercell actor Daniel Diemer. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? Great. I really enjoyed this movie, and I want to start first start off with your character, William Brody. Usually in these type of movies, the main character, even if he or she's coming of age, their personality is a little bit more colorful. And this is not a, not a negative thing. I loved how your character stays pretty much within bounds throughout most of the stories. Very subtle and introverted, doesn't do anything out of character. Was that how you approach this role? Because I really love the subtlety behind the main character, your main character. So totally, totally. And I, and I, I really love how you, how you, how you talk about that. Cause yeah, I'm, I mean, as a person, I'm, I'm very introverted and shy and there's, there's very few roles where I get to kind of lean into that, um, especially uh, in, on the, on the lead side of the spectrum. Um, and yeah, no, again, there's, there's also like a lot less dialogue than you normally get for a lead character. It's a, it's a lot of listening. And so I, I really wanted to ground it out with just the relationships, his relationship with obviously with Anne, with Skeet, with Jordan, um, and try to enter into that as honestly as possible. And then and just kind of sit there and listen. I mean, the, the kind of story speaks for itself. The environment speaks for itself and just try to kind of be in those moments as honestly as possible. Um, and, and not try to be anything too exciting. Just, uh, trust that I won't be boring as, as long as the story kind of carries everything. And Jamie did an incredible job with that. And so no, great, really grateful to jump into a character like William. You know, you, you mentioned listening and as a media member over the last 30 years, I've just had the pleasure to interview Skeet and Anne and Alec and just learn from them, from their stories. Just You're not just listening, you're working with them. Yeah. So what tangible lessons or did you take away from just these three great actors, I guess? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I, I, most of it was just about r- relaxing, like the solidity of of presence uh, was, was such a huge thing. I think it's really easy as a young actor to feel like you need to do a lot. Um, especially in the YA kind of spectrum, there's there's a lot of energy going on, um, and and you see these guys and 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 um, and they just like they enter in so seamlessly with with who they are. They bring so much of their own presence and energy in, and then they just kind of manipulate that per, for the different characters. And and they're so talented. So it's really watching them and the nuances of of how they kind of work through things and taking that in and and, and being like, yeah, no, okay, trust yourself. You don't need to put on a show. 
the the stories as long as they're 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 written well and told honestly they they kind of do everything that they that you need to do and so just trust yourself trust trust the process trust your acting abilities and and just sit with it and, and sit into relationships and, and kind of just work with people um on, on this really this one-to-one basis rather than thinking that hey i need to be something for somebody or i need to show the, the audience something and and they they do that beautifully so no it was, it was a great learning experience in that regard for sure my big complaint with Supercell is your character doesn't finish or even try to start with those huevos rancheros. That is a cardinal <laughs> sin. <laughs> but I, you mentioned on your Instagram, I'm still, I'm still angered about, about that. Right? Anyway, just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> you mentioned this movie has a lot of heart. Yeah. So, I mean, I was wondering if you can elaborate on that. And yeah, where's the heart in this movie in which, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's again, another great question. I think again, so much of it comes from just, this this sense of relationship and the sense of loss. I think I'm not I'm not sure what, what your your own personal experience with loss is, but I, I know for me, I've, I've had certain family members and certain friends um, pass, or or you just kind of lose them in the process of life and 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 um, and moving around and 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 just careers and and just people changing. And so I think that was the biggest thing of, of taking a look at like this this kid who's who's really just hungry to learn about his father, who he lost at a really young age and didn't really have a chance to really grow to understand. Um, and, and so centering everything around this, this feeling of loss and, and trying to gain it back. And, and obviously it's impossible. You can't replace somebody like that's such an important part and piece of your life. Um, but, but there's aspects, I think, through learning about them through other people, that's so beautiful. And I think that's kind of where it centers is, is this really honest, earnest attempt to just understand, um, where, where he comes from personally, what, what his family history is, what, what his dad was like, but also really this, this attempt to understand his mother as well. Cause I think there's, there's obviously such a disconnect at the beginning in that way. And he doesn't understand where, where she's coming from. And I think throughout this, it's he, every step along the way kind of gives another piece of who his mom is as well. And when he kind of kept, comes to the end and I did this for you, it, it really is this honest thing of like, I, I'm trying to understand you and be there for you, but also kind of explore who I am and, and really try to understand that. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really where the heart kind of centers around. And then obviously all the action kind of puts the pieces that all together. Again, you're going to go, you're working with great actors, but specifically Anne Hage, when I, when I used to interview her, she was so locked in. And yeah. so I felt that I was intimidated because I go, I need to be more locked in, in my, in this situation. I should be more prefer- as professional as she is. So just this working the scenes with her, because it just feels every line she says in this movie, you just feel it. And yeah. And you have to bounce off that and with your internal situation as well. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was definitely intimidating. I mean, there, there's so much energy coming at you. Um, she, she, she brings so much of herself again. And I, I hate to reuse the word too much, but there's so much heart in, in who she was. It just incredibly loving human being. And, and, and through that, it just, it's so much of it comes, comes, comes across. Um, she, she really lets you into, to her soul and, um, and so it was, it was definitely intimidating. It was like, okay, well, how do I stand ground with somebody like that? And that, that really means trying to be as vulnerable as you can yourself. Um, so that it's, it, it's just, it doesn't become something where the, again, for William himself, he, he can't be run over by this person. It's just like, he's fighting for who he is in, in these moments. And so it was just like, okay, well, let's, let's go against this force and, and let's, let's confront it one-on-one and, and see where it goes. And, and, and it became this beautiful kind of like dance of, of trying to find these characters together. And she was, she was really open to talk about it. Um, we, uh, the, the, the scene where I, I end up carrying her to the bed, I think was this beautiful moment for both of us. 
um, that, that just felt so just personal. It's, it's just stopped feeling like a movie and just feels like, hey, this is kind of us and our relationship now. And and there really were these incredible moments of kind of tying us together that just um, for, for me as an actor, I'll, I'll never forget. And I'm really, really grateful that we had. Yeah, I thought it was interesting at the beginning, you were mentioning how you're a little bit of an intro, introvert. So for someone like me looking from the outside, looking in, uh, being introverted and being an actor seems to me like almost a bridge too far. Or maybe is am I not looking at, at it correctly? Because being part of an introvert is doing really great inner work with your, your character and living that world as well. So is there not really that big of a bridge as I'm envisioning? No, so it's it, I I think it kind of is. But in certain aspects, and and so in, in, I think when it comes to press, when it comes to showing off who you are and, and making a name for yourself and branding yourself, being a celebrity, I think that there's there's um I think it becomes a lot easier when you're comfortable with with showing yourself off to people. And I think as an introvert, I tend to, or at least in the, in the past, I used to hide away a lot from kind of showing who I was, being really careful and being very very private. And I think a lot of my extroverted friends, and again, there's there's a whole bunch of variations to this, and we all have our nuances of of extroversion, introversion, how we associate with people. Um, but like you said, I think you said it beautifully. Of there's there's a lot of inner work that you kind of do when when you're on your own and and, and when you kind of pursue solitude. Um, and I think it really informs you as an actor. I think again, there's so much inner life that you're aware of that now you can bring into characters, and I think it really can diversify how you approach acting, how you approach different stories. So I think it's both there, there's this pros and cons to, to both of it. I think it's, it's a beautiful, um, strength to have. And then I think there's, there's times like this where it's, there's a lot of nerves that I come into to the press tours with where it's like, I'm not usually comfortable. And luckily I have amazing interviewers like you who, who make you feel comfortable right away. Um, but it's, it's always that, that part's always a lot harder. The, the actual work though, I think is really stimulated by that kind of inner work. And, and so that, that's definitely helped me out in my journey for sure. Regarding the actual work, what is it like to collaborate with someone like Jamie? Spent four years working on this very personal story. Yeah. As opposed to, I'm not saying, you know, everyone, there's a different energy with different filmmakers, but what is that energy when it's someone who really, it just feels like it's coming from their, you know, their bones or flesh, their heart. So, yeah, no, it's again, great, great questions. I, I've had the, the luck and the opportunity to work with a lot of first and second time directors that are bringing in really personal stories. And so that's been a lot of my career is, is really working with people who really, really care. And I think as an actor, there's nothing else that, that you can ask for really. It's, it's you, you know, when you're diving into it, that they're going to be there by your side because they're trying to support the story as best as possible. They're, they're listening to you. They're taking you in. Um, when you know they care, it's so much easier to kind of give as much of yourself as possible when you're on a project with somebody where, you know, it's just kind of just to make some money. I think it really kind of lessens the experience and lessens how, how, how you feel about it and how, how much work you kind of. More, less work, but how, how much of yourself you want to give to it because you, you're, you're afraid that they're not going to take it in or respect that. And and, and Jamie was wonderful. It was like he he gave so much of himself to it. He he worked his butt off on this, like so much, and 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 in the post production process as well. And I know he's not going to talk about it, but this man put so much time and effort into this movie, both on uh, working with the storm chasing community and then and trying to make this as best as he could with the tools that he had. He's an incredible human being and and, and a great director as well. So no, it was, it was a wonderful experience. A couple of final questions. I I really loved your performance so much and enjoyed this movie. That after this, I'm going to actually. When I have time this week to catch up with movies, I'm going to check out the half of it. What yeah. am I going to, what should I expect? What am I going to get from this movie? You're talking about personal stories and visionaries and all that stuff. What will I get from watching that movie? 
I, I, I don't want to say too much because the, the characters, the character that I play in that one's very, very different from, from uh, William. Um, but again, I think it's just allow yourself to just like, I can receive as much of the, the personal aspect as possible. Again, Alice gives so much of herself in that too. Um, but the, 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 I think the beauty of that is the nuances of how things change and adapt in the movie. So I don't want to say too much. I, th- I think most of it speaks for itself. Um, but I think again, it's, it's, re- that's another one that's just really heartfelt. Um, a really positive story of like a really loving message behind it. And I think that's, that's why that movie resonated so well with so many people. And so I, again, I, I love to be able to spread my wings and do a bunch of different projects with a bunch of different, um, kind of stories, but to kind of center my career on, on, on movies and projects that really have that at the center, um, is I'm, I'm really grateful for because I think that's kind of how I approach the work and how I try to approach life as best as possible. So hopefully when you take a look at that, you'll enjoy that as much. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's a great one as well. And something I'm very, very proud of. Any, any other projects coming down the pike? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. A, I did a beautiful indie with an incredible director named Sheridan O'Donnell, um, based off of a, a friend of his. It, it tackles a really sensitive subject matter. We, we had J.K. Simmons jump on that as a, he plays my father figure or my, my actual dad, I should say, and then Philip Edinger, um, incredible mm-hmm. indie actor as well. And, and I'm really, really proud of the that kind of the work that we did on that. Um, I just finished up a feature in Boston with Liam Neeson and Ron Perlman. Um, and that one again, completely different character. And I'm really excited to kind of show the world that is the guy's a little bit, a <laughs> little bit more nasty. Um, wow, that sounds awesome. Oh, um, it's so that, that I'm, I'm so excited for both of them. Like, and, and just incredible, incredible actors. So I'm, I'm pinching myself constantly with this career with, with the, who I'm getting to work with and, and, and the talent that they bring and just kind of how, how they've been able to just like shepherd me into the industry and, 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 and kind of be comfortable with me and, and allow me to feel relaxed and be able to do my thing. So no, I'm really excited about all those. And, and then currently working on a on a limited series for for, for Hulu um, up in Canada, and uh, I have no idea when that release date is, um, but I'll definitely be keeping people updated on my socials for, for when those start to get released. Daniel, uh, final question is a two parter. First off, yeah. right off yeah. right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all time favorite films, and what is it about this film that speaks to you? And then on the flip side, can you name a movie that you feel is a little bit underseen and underrated, and why so? so. Interesting question. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, so to to preface i don't have a favorite movie um i i there, there's um every year there's, there's something new that catches my attention and that, that hits me in a different way um lately i've been doing a lot of writing um as well and so a movie that's kind of captured my heart a long time ago that's stuck with me is manchester by the sea um i i, I am a massive fan of, of a really just deeply emotional and kind of dark in indie features um, and I, I love the sensitivity of that. Um, I think the, the way that they tackle loss and, and grief, um, and, and parenthood and, and support and also coming of age is just that the writing in that is so intimately done and so nuanced. It's just so real. Um, it just basically what feels like you're watching someone's life. Um, but in a way that doesn't feel like you're watching a play either. It's just so well structured. Um, in my opinion, one of the greatest screenplays ever put together. So, so that's, that's probably the one that I, that I'd say right now is, is my favorite. And, and I've rewatched a few times on, on the, on the smaller side of things. I don't know, man. It's like most of the, most of the ones that I, I really love. I, I don't think are really underrated. Maybe, maybe they don't have as big an audience. Um, drive is, is a huge one for me. Um, I, I love these kind of like, again, these, these ones that just focus around like characters that are dealing with loneliness or suffering and kind of just their, their push against that. And, and their, 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 their constant like desire for hope of something better and the struggles that they come into contact with that. Again, I'm a small town boy. 
I kind of come at this from very much like a humanistic point of view. And I, I love the big block blockbusters inception, uh, the dark Knight trilogy. Those are some of my favorite movies of all time as well. And so I, I've uh, no issue going in and seeing a couple hundred million dollar feature film in, in, in cinema. It's, it's one of my favorite experiences, but where my heart's really attracted to is kind of like these Indies like that place beyond the pines, um, I saw Moonlight a couple of years ago and that, that just struck me and, and hit me in such a, such an intimate way. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, at least in my, my journey, personal journey is just really attracted to those types of storytelling. Really enjoyed your film, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much as well. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. And before you go, just very quickly, Kenny, Kenny Lonergan, Manchester by the Sea. I'm sure you haven't seen it because a lot of people haven't seen it yet, but there's this movie called Margaret starring Anna Paquin. He okay. wrote the script script for that. And it's, you talk about humanistic films and you like Manchester, you love Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Margaret it, starring Anna Paquin. You're, you're going to love that as well. So just that. Okay. No, I appreciate right. that. That's, that's amazing. I'll, I'll keep my eyes out. All right. Take care. Talk to you All soon. Right, take care, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. When you do something as dangerous as going into a place where wind can throw your car hundreds of yards. Every ride home, you get a little more numb. So the next time you go back, you want to go in further. And you want to stay longer to satisfy some sort of what I don't know. If my grad student hadn't taken a friend, they'd be here. If they would have loaded one 50-pound probe into the truck rather than two, they'd be here. If they'd taken Highway 44, they'd be here. If they had been on any other stretch of land at that moment, I used to think that the risk that we took had some sort of calling because because we chased for knowledge not thrill I guess Mother Nature doesn't care (laughs) then why do it? Because somebody has to. Nova. Baby. Dog, dog, cat. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Nova, that's a great name. That's a great name. Nova. Yeah, she's a handful. Before I start recording. Yeah, handful and a half. Before I start recording, when I do the podcast, should I pronounce, should I go Jordan Christine Simone? Is that the correct? Simone. Simone. And should I go with Jordan Christine Simone or just like your Zoom thing, Jordan Simone, when I do the podcast, when I title the names? Um, either Which works, name? whichever uh, either is works. less less work for you. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. Thank, thank you so okay. much. First of all, I really enjoyed Supercell. The fact that it was a real great escapist adventure reminded me of, you know, I'm a certain age. I remember the Steven Spielberg films from the 1980s. It's yeah. escapist fair, but it's also a very resonant family drama. And yeah. Did these two things, were these one of the two two of the elements that actually attracted you to Supercell? Definitely. I mean, it was the, the those were the main things that attracted me to Supercell. I um 
although I didn't grow up in the 80s, those were a lot of the things that I watched, you know, the Spielberg, the E.T., the family movies, the ones that made you just want to sit down on the couch with your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and, you know, enjoy a good story. So once I read the script and I got the chance to talk with the director, Jamie, uh, and he told me about how there was going to be this beautiful score and, you know, all of these uh, interesting director choices, I was like, I felt like I just had to be a part of the project. And it's so cool to be able to be able to see myself in that kind of light, you know, to see myself playing a character that um, is a part of that kind of movie. It's very interesting. I'm so sorry. My dog is just... No like, worries. No worries. <laughs> I should be interviewing Nova. Nova's good. Yeah, I'm sure Nova's good. Honestly, <laughs> she's great. She's wonderful on camera. She's been on the cover of several magazines. She That's is amazing. a diva for sure. Definitely a diva. But look, here's the thing. What was your reaction the, when you saw the final cut of this film? You must have been so pleased. You mentioned the score. The score is very sweeping. And I really... You know, there's going to be some... On our podcast, two of us really loved it. One one person went the other way. You know, you can go either way in this movie. Can you just talk about the open heartedness of this movie, which I thought was really interesting as well, and that sweeping score? How how pleased were you with the final cut? I mean, I I loved it. It was so. I I mean, I got the chance to see it in a theater. So like watching it on the big screen, as opposed to you know just watching it on your television. It's so captivating and it, it feels so good. You know, it, it really, it, I don't know. It just really, really captured my eye. Um, the score of it, as I said, it's absolutely beautiful and it really conveys a lot of the emotion and a lot of, it, I feel like it really conveys the message that you don't see like immediately on screen. You can definitely uh, feel some hidden emotions within the score. It just looks so beautiful to see. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't, speak the movie's praises enough i mean this, besides the fact that i'm in it i should speak its praises but you know <laughs> i really just love the way that it looked the way that it was edited and the way that it was put together and obviously everybody's performance was spectacular so yes to that point i mentioned to daniel that i was really intimidated interviewing <laughs> over the years interviewing Anne hey she was so always locked in with yeah. whenever we, i i interviewed her and what a lot of your scenes are with her what's it like being with an actor who's so locked in on the material and feels really in the moment, I'm sure. What's that energy like, just that transference, you know? It's really, it's just a teachable, it feels like she's a teacher. It feels like, it felt like she was a teacher. You know, she was obviously an amazing actor, but whenever I got the chance to uh, do a scene with her, we really didn't even feel like we had to like sit down and like study or anything. It just clicked. And she was so... Really, <laughs> she was so <laughs> complimentary. Um, just the sweetest person in the world, and I, I really enjoyed being able to talk to her and ask her questions, not only about the industry but about certain character choices and everything. She really gave me a lot of inspiration to take the character Harper to uh, a level that I probably wouldn't have on my own. Jordan, just doing a little bit of research on you. You sing. You're an artist. You're a co-author of a book with your father. Yeah. What What is your journey like? What How do you see yourself as an artist? Are these all different paths or are, do they all combine into one? And if so, what is that one for you, I guess? I mean, I try to just do a little bit of everything. They're all really, really different paths. And they're all things that I, I didn't necessarily plan for. You know, I wasn't like aiming to be like, uh, you know, that one girl that can do just about everything. That wasn't the goal. It was just, you know, 
being able to uh, dip my toe into different fields and seeing if I could do it. I'm the type of person that um, I want to try just about everything. And um, yeah, so it wasn't really like a one big path sort of thing. It was just um, these are fields that I've found interest in. Uh, music and acting and writing are all fields that I was always drawn to as a kid. And I just wanted to try them for myself. And I think I got the chance to prove to just about anybody and a lot of young girls my age that you can do it too. So. Yeah. Look, we are who we are. I have yet to get to it because one of the things that, about being intimidated, I feel like if I see it, it'll, I'll go through such a really intense journey. Yeah. With the characters. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm emotionally ready for it maybe, because maybe <laughs> I'm not as emotionally intelligent as you are. And I, and I don't have wow. Nova by my, by my side either, but <laughs> I expect from watching it on my side, but then on your side, how has that shaped you as as a person just now that you have some distance to process all that stuff? The distance was definitely needed. Um, it definitely made me the emotionally more emotionally mature person I am today. Um, I mean, it it was a, it's a very like you said, it's a very, very uh, captivating show. And it definitely will take you through a whirlwind of feelings, um, which, which is what it did for me. Um, I discovered a lot of things on that set, you know, uh, realizing my gender identity, discovering I'm gender fluid and, you know, um, understanding my sexuality a little bit more. You know, it, there was a lot of things that I was able to learn about myself. Um, in playing the character, Caitlin, but it was a very, very great learning experience. I mean, I look at every set as a learning experience. I learn something new and I add something to my repertoire, but um, We Are Who We Are definitely influenced the the more um, mature side of me and definitely influenced the more vulnerable part of me to be a more open to, you know, not only like love, but relationships and, you know, friendships and all that stuff and the ups and downs of them and how they can make us grow and change and learn and understand ourselves a little bit more, if that makes sense. Right. It definitely makes sense. And since this is going to be kind of a naive question for me, but since you are an actress, one can, or actor or actress, one can actually hide behind roles. And, And I think some of the more courageous artists are the ones who allow themselves to put a real name on who they are mm-hmm. and, and be, be open and vulnerable. Was that, you know, is that, was that a big leap for you as far as just being vulnerable uh, with, as an artist, whereas a lot of people hide behind their art. It seems like you don't, you just put yourself out there or is it, you just don't think about it. You just go out there um, in a bold fashion, I guess. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of both. I, it definitely is hard for me to be um, truly vulnerable uh, I'm not going to say that I don't hide from time to time. I definitely do. Um, you know, I hide behind jokes and laughter and, uh, you know, little things like that. It's a, it's a very easy thing for me to do. And it's something that I've always done. Um, but it, it, it definitely took being on, we are who we are on the set of, we are, who we are, and being on the set of supercell to be even more comfortable in the acting space with that vulnerability, uh, with my music, so to speak. Um, it's kind of just like 
just putting it out there. I, I didn't write music for other people. You know, I'm glad other people enjoy it and like it and love to listen to it and can relate to it. But I mainly just put it out there for myself, you know, so I could go back and listen to it and relive those thoughts and feelings and emotions that I was going through at the time and try to dissect them five, six years later with a hopefully more mature mind. But on the acting space, I am very big on hiding and I'm very scared and I'm not going to claim like I'm the, the the bell of the ball. You know, I'm definitely very afraid. But thankfully, I've had some amazing directors. Jamie, for sure, was one of the best directors. You know, he really, really encouraged me to be more comfortable with, uh, you know, trying new things. Like there's a big scream in that trailer of Supercell. I, I can't tell you how terrified I was just to scream, you know, and to, to let that vulnerability show. But Jamie was very, very helpful and, you know, allowing me to tap into that side of myself. And without him, I don't know if I ever would have been able to do it. And Daniel as well, you know, very sweet, sweetest guy in the world, obviously from Canada. So he has to be, but um, <laughs> he's so, so, so nice. And he was so supportive. Uh, you know, whenever I expressed my insecurities to him about how nervous I was being in a big film with these big name actors, you know, he was him and Anne were very, very helpful and supportive and saying like, Hey, you, you got this, you, you have a right to be here. You're talented enough and you deserve to be here. So, um, like I said, I definitely hide. I'm not going to say like, I'm perfect. I always am hiding, but, um, I'm learning more and more, um, how to be a little bit more vulnerable. And I'm very thankful that I have the people in my life that, uh, let me tap into that side of myself. Yeah. Final couple questions with such great projects behind you and great collaborations and very nurturing experiences. Does that make you more excited to tackle many more acting projects or do those past experiences so positive in light make you more selective on how you embark on your next movie or television program or whatever project you you participate in? It definitely makes me, I hate to say a little bit of both again, <laughs> a little bit of both. It, um, it makes me more selective in um, being aware of what type of projects that I want to sign on to. Um, and very aware of the type of people that I want to surround myself with. You know, everything is that I've been able to work on, thankfully, has been very, very nice and sweet. And the people have been very nice and genuine. But um, it's you got to make sure that you keep that kind of stuff around you. You know, that's very important for me, especially. Um, I can't work with, um, I don't want to say an inappropriate word, I can't work with mean people. You know, I prefer to work with people that are very nice and very kind. You know, we don't have to be besties, but I at least want us to be cordial. Um, so it definitely makes me a lot more um, focused on the type of people that I'm going to be around when I sign on to a new project. You know, I always try to make sure I get myself very well acquainted with the director, the other cast members, even people that I'm not working with that much. I still want to get to know you and see what type of person you are, because that will definitely dictate whether I think this is a healthy and safe environment for me to be a part of. Um, yeah. But I'm also, I've been equipped very well with some like, you know, good backup people, you know, I got my Nova and everything. So <laughs> I'm definitely like, okay, you know, if some do 
if some like mean people do show up, I I'm not going to be like, oh, I got to leave immediately. You know, good projects are they come with that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely going to try and defend myself and keep myself sane as much as possible. And like I said, thankfully, I got my <laughs> my Nova. Yeah, you're all good on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah de- I have def- my mom and my dad, you know. So yeah. um, a little bit of both. I hate to say it, but a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> before we leave, just a two-part question. One, sure. can you, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about mm-hmm. this specific movie that resonates with you? And then the flip side of that, can you name a movie that you love that you feel is might be underrated or under, unseen that you would like to bring out to the light? So that's oh gosh, there's so many. I have to pick one. <laughs> um, my favorite film. Oh god, that is a hard one. I said for a long time, and I'll probably stick with this one. One of my favorite films is A Monster in Paris. Um, it's a Netflix movie. Yeah, a lot of people haven't heard of it. Um, it's a Netflix movie, and um, as a musician, I just loved the sound of it um sean lennon is uh one of the characters he plays i don't want to i don't know if it's a cockroach or it's 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 a bug we'll say it's a bug um that gets transformed into this like music thing and he just can't communicate through words he has to communicate through song and it's a beautiful story um about him just wanting to sing and uh you know it's a kid's movie so it's a really simple concept but the music of it is so beautiful. The song from it, uh, A Monster in Paris, uh, Sean Lennon does an amazing job singing it. And the the musical score of it is top tier. Um, so that's why I love it. One movie that I feel like doesn't get a lot of recognition. What's a movie that I love that I feel like doesn't be seen a lot? Oh, God. I don't could, even know. It could be the same thing in Monster in Paris. I mean, that's probably I would say maybe, yeah, maybe Monster in Paris. It's it's not very well known. I don't think it went to like the movie theaters or anything. I discovered it on a whim one day on Netflix. But um, it's a great movie. And, it, you know, I, sometimes I feel like movies and television shows can get so complex and complicated and it can be hard to follow so many different storylines from time to time with this one. It's, it's so simple and it's nice to go back to like your childhood aspect of, you know, just seeing a a little bug, you know, traveling through Paris and he just wants to sing. Um, It's, it's, it's just so beautiful. The music of it is absolutely spectacular that or Encanto Encanto. Maybe we'll make Encanto my favorite and then we'll make a monster in Paris. The one yes. that needs to be seen more. <laughs> and Kant is an amazing film. But Jordan, yeah. Ah, I love Jordan, it. thank you so much for your time. Really love Supercell. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah. Your and, mic quality is top tier, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah. By the way, next time I want on I want Nova on a stool. So during the in, entire interview, I'll be yeah, asking so both like, of you questions. Baby, come here. You want to hop up? She's like, no, I don't want any press right now. That's so. that's me. I never leave the thank house. You. But thank, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> take, take care, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you. You have Thank a good you. one. You too. Everyone, welcome to the Find Your Film podcast. Jamie Winterstern from Supercell. Pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. So I one of the questions I did not want to ask you, okay, but I'm glad that I'm asking you right now, right off the jump, is I really love the score. While I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, man, this film reminds me of a lot of the Spielberg films I used to grow up to in the 80s. I wonder if he'd be offended if I asked him that. And then I was looking at some of your bio stuff saying that 
how you watch Spielberg films with your father. And this is really a wonderful father and son story. Can you just talk about Spielberg, the 80s, bonding with your dad and how that kind of childhood passion uh, meets, with you, who, meets with you who you are today? So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, you know, I'm 38 years old. I was born in 1985. And, you know, we, I grew up, I'm sure you grew up on the movies of the 80s. And it wasn't just Steven Spielberg, right? Robert Zemeckis, Ron Howard, uh, these classic coming of age stories about people, real people uh, that you could look up to, you know, paleontologists or astronauts or firefighters. Um, I feel like today, younger audiences, uh, they, they, they really only have caped heroes, you know, superhero Marvel movies. Um, we're, we're missing those stories about real people um, and, and the movies that Spielberg, you know, did so well back then. And for me, I, you know, with, with Supercell, it was very important for me to, to try and bring back that early era of classical storytelling uh, in, in many different ways. And, and you've mentioned score. Um, why is it that we can't hum the orchestral score of our films anymore? You know, E.T., Jurassic Park, I mean, John Williams, of course, Alan Silvestri with Back to the Future, uh, interestingly enough, I, uh, I joined forces with uh, a USC alum, Corey Wallace, who's an incredible composer. Uh, we worked together on short films in film school. And I told him, I was like, Corey, this, this movie needs a good orchestral score. We need a theme that people, when they walk out of the theater or they, they, you know, they finish the film on their, their device or whatnot, they're going to remember the score. They can hum it, something that you don't get today. And we were working on the score well, uh, probably a year and a half in advance from even being greenlit, because that was something we just wanted to do together was to make a memorable score. So you're, you're right on with that. Yeah, I love the score for this. I also love, this is a sort of a really interesting narrative gamble. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but Daniel Pling, who plays William Brody, you could have made that main character a little flashier, but he's a very subtle character because it's more realistic. He's actually trying to live under the shadow of his dad and to try to break out, but he's still very throughout most of the, all of the movie, he's pretty much introverted. I really love that master stroke of storytelling. Can you speak to that and not, and not actually making him like this sort of movie trope type of character? No, it's, it's interesting. The kids in this film, uh, Daniel Deemer and Jordan Simone, for me, it was very important for them to be portrayed as, as just real, uh, relatable uh, younger actors. And, and the story of Daniel's fascinating because when I wrote the script with Anna, um, I thought of myself as, as William Brody uh, to me that I was writing, you know, as if it was my experience and I was a late bloomer. I was always really small and I didn't weigh a lot. Um, I was, I was a time, you know, more or less, I, I was sort of bullied uh, throughout school um, it didn't, it, you know, probably college when I hit my growth spurt. So, um, you know, Daniel, believe it or not, he's six foot four. Uh, he's got this very big presence, but he has this genuine innocence to him. Uh, like you said, that subtlety, uh, like that timid, reserved nature that I just found so uh, attractive, especially against the physicality of him. And uh, of course, when I was looking at tons of auditions for the William character, um, his his audition blew me out of the water. I, I, I think we, we watched probably about 100 Williams. I saw his, I knew immediately after his tape that he was the guy I had to cast. 
And the funny thing about auditions is at the end of the audition, they slate their name and their height. So when he said he was six foot four, I had to like take a moment and say, is this a problem? Because he's not a, he's a man. That's a man size of a, of a kid. Um, of course, there were things uh, we did in the in the movie. I had to rewrite some scenes, and I don't want to give too much away, but I played into the physicality of of his size. And yeah, he he's he's going to be a fantastic actor. He's he's a rising star for sure. I've been doing this whole interview game for over thirty years, and I actually was at the press junket for the juror, and I remembered thinking years ago, "Gosh, Anne Heche and Alec Baldwin need to be in more movies together." What was it like having Anne and Alec in this movie? They are so good in this movie. And that must have really anchored your narrative in, in so many really ways you can't even pronounce, to describe within uh, 30 seconds, you know, so. I mean, it from this being my first feature length film, for this being my first movie, uh, I still have to pinch myself to think that I was able to work with Alec Baldwin, Anne Hage, even Skeet Ulrich. Um, these are legendary prolific actors that have been in the game for decades. And I'm very fortunate as a director. One, you know, directing is 90% casting. Um, You get talents like this. It makes my job easier because they show up and they just do what they do best. Um, And it was, you know, in in many respects as as a first time director working with someone like Anne or Alec, uh, it was, it was almost like film school for me. Um, learning a lot about the craft of directing and communication, how to communicate with actors. And um, I learned very quickly on set, you know, how to work with each individual actor, because every actor is unique to the relationship with the director. Some of them, you know, they're, they're, they're more or less kind of doing their thing. Um, and you kind of just have to observe from a distance. And then other actors are more hands-on. Uh, the interesting thing about that, and I, I love the juror, and I remember Anne and Alec in that, um, the funny thing is, is that they actually never uh, uh, play in the same scene together. They're kind of always apart um, and they both kind of supplement each other in how they parent uh, William's character. Um, so that's kind of the interesting thing there. But of course, you know, and, and, and they were also um, in a fantastic uh, Broadway play. Um, I can't think of the name, but they, uh, in which I think Anne won a Tony for, um, I think it was called 20th century. That's, I think the name, I I might be wrong about that, but, um, it was unbelievable to work with both of them. Special effects are amazing. And how does one in layman's terms, how did you integrate that into your film? You're not working with a $100 million movie. How do you make special effects effective within your narrative? You know, it's, it's, it's by necessity. And you basically, you're put into a box with parameters. I don't have the budget Twister had. I don't have the budget Roland Emmerich has when he makes movies like 2012 or a day after tomorrow. Um, So you, you really kind of, for me as a, as a film director, I kind of tried to use that as an advantage. Um, You know, less is more the whole old saying, uh, don't don't show the shark as they, as as they say with jaws uh what you don't see is always going to be uh a lot scarier than whatever you can put in front of the camera so it's really playing off suspense and when i was able to show the scope of the sky i was very fortunate to work with real storm chasers real storm uh filmmakers that have decades worth of quality um shots of the sky and different cloud formations and tornadoes and lightning strikes 
and collaborating with, you know, one in particular, his name is Pecos Hank on YouTube, uh, Hank Shima. He's a storm chaser who's quite popular in the storm chasing community. Uh, he gave me access to his entire uh, film library of storm footage, and we were able to select the right sky for each scene so that it all came across as real as possible. You mentioned earlier in the interview with one and a half years of collaborating with Corey on the score. So that's adding a year and a half, not including just getting this movie financed, getting the cast, shooting it, editing it. What's in some, what's the whole development process of just getting it from the idea, you and Corey working on it to where we are today? How long did it take? And the B part of that is what are the keys to keeping that vision focused throughout all of these years of just challenges? It's uh, It's been four years. Uh, so this all started in 2019, uh, around May, when I went storm chasing with my fiance, with no intention of, of thinking of something to write. I just went for the thrill and the fun of being a weather nut and wanting to go storm chasing because I'd never done it before. And uh, I got addicted when I saw my first supercell out in the West Texas Plains. Uh, I brought a friend of mine a week later for another severe weather event. And it wasn't after, you know, I always would carry my DSLR camera and just capture shots just innately as a filmmaker, always wanting to, to photograph and film things. And then soon after that, I realized, well, there needs to be a story about the storm chasing community um, and also not just weather. Right. But the people behind, you know, the chasers, whether they chase for knowledge or thrill, the science behind forecasting. Uh, again, we haven't had a film like that since 1996 in Twister. And I understand Twister is finally coming out with a remake, uh, it's, I think, in a couple of years from now. But that was important. And, yeah, it was, it's, been, it's been exhausting, but it's, it's the dream because, you know, as long as I could remember, I've always wanted to be a film director. And it's, it's taken me, you know, 30, I guess, four years, 34, 35, 36 years to finally do it. And I guess the one uh, one thing I can leave for for people who want to do it is find stories that that just that you believe in that 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 you won't quit on that you just have to tell because these these the process of making a movie will take that could take four five six years and and you just have to be persistent with it and and see it through which is what we did. Jamie, my final question to you is. Right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite favorite films? And what is it about this movie that resonates with you? But then on the second part of that, can you name another movie that you feel is maybe underrated or underseen that you would like our listeners and watchers to check out as well and for us to review down the road? So just those two A and B questions, I guess. Yeah. Got it. Well, I would say my, you know, my favorite film of all time is Schindler's List. Um and, and not just because it's Steven Spielberg and not just because I'm, I'm Jewish myself, uh, even though watching that film young, not able to really appreciate it for how heavy of a story that was. And now seeing it as a father myself, I have a six month old. Uh, for me, that's that's a perfect film. Technically speaking, every department uh, from 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 what he was able to accomplish in every regard uh, I do believe uh, Schindler's List for me is is the greatest film that was ever made. In terms of being an underrated film, <laughs> that's a tough question. I, for some reason, the director Bennett Miller just jumps at me. Um, you're familiar with him, Capote. Uh, Foxcatcher to me was a, such a powerful film with uh, Channing Tatum and Steve Carell. 
Steve actually plays kind of counter what he normally does in, in film with that role as, as the wrestling coach and financier. I just, th- th- that was such a brooding, the tone of it was just so specific. And I, I don't know how much that film has been talked about, but uh, just off the top of my head, I can, I can have this conversation with you for a while. Uh, Foxcatcher is a, a seemingly underrated film that jumps out at me. Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed your film. Congratulations on your movie and most importantly, fatherhood. Thank you. I appreciate it.